Hey everyone, I'm David Chalian, CNN's political director, and welcome to the CNN Political Briefing. Former Virginia Governor Terry McAuliffe is one of the Democratic Party's biggest fundraisers, and he is all in on Joe Biden. He obviously also served as Democratic National Committee chairman, and he was the campaign chair for both Bill and Hillary Clinton campaigns. We're jumping straight into our conversation about the Biden sales pitch and what it's like inside the Democratic Party right now as this presidential contest is taking shape. Governor McAuliffe, thank you so much for being here. David, great to be with you. Thanks for having me. So you are known as one of the greatest cheerleaders in Democratic politics, and I have no doubt that you will do lots of cheerleading for Joe Biden as we have this conversation. But I am also interested in tapping into your expertise as a fundraiser, a campaign chair, DNC chair, a candidate and governor, of course, of the Commonwealth of Virginia to sort of understand and help our listeners understand this moment inside the Democratic Party as we are heading into this extraordinarily consequential uh, presidential election. So let me start with the conversation right now that is happening inside the party, inside Democratic circles. What percentage chance do you think, Terry, at this moment, exists that Joe Biden is not going to be the Democratic nominee come November? Zero. I, I don't say that lightly. First of all, I saw the president two weeks ago, had a conversation with him. He was out here in Virginia doing a reproductive rights rally with the vice president. All my conversations with the president, no question, he's running. And so I tell Democrats all the time, OK, listen, this is a big, broad party. I love it. Used to be the chairman of it. And we have a lot of diverse views and we like, we encourage all of the chitter chatter. But listen, we are running against Donald Trump. And my assessment, David, will be in probably the third week of March. Donald Trump will be the nominee. And then there is a contrast. Joe Biden versus Donald Trump. And I'll take that any day of the week. But Joe Biden is running and he will be our nominee in August in Chicago at the convention and through the fall. Do you think... He is the best candidate for Democrats in this cycle to put forward this year? Sure. I mean, listen, David, he, he's the incumbent president. And first of all, let's just talk historical. You know, I started in this business in 1979. I took a leave from Georgetown Law School to go work for a candidate by the name of Jimmy Carter. President Carter easily won uh, that primary nomination as we went through that whole process in, in 2000. You don't knock off an incumbent president. He is the incumbent president. He is the leader of the Democratic Party. But put that all aside, David. I mean, what I'm excited is about a lot of great things that this president can run on. 15 million new jobs, as you know, unemployment. It's been under 4% the longest in 50-year run. Think about that. Inflation is down two-thirds. Personal income is up. Stock market hit an all-time high. He's got NATO back together. So a lot of things that we will be able to talk about in the campaign. So, yes, he's the best one to be our nominee and take it to Donald Trump again. All those accomplishments that are true, that you just laid out, and more that he will tout on the campaign yep. trail. Do you have a thought on why that doesn't seem to be connecting with the public? Why his approval rating just seems stubbornly low and consistently so? Why the sentiment among Americans across all the polling, Terry, is suggests that they think the country's more on the wrong track than headed in the right direction? Given everything you just said, what is that disconnect as you understand it? Yeah. And you and I, David, could spend a lot of time talking about the impact of one of your other cable channels and social media and the misinformation that is constantly driven out there. I mean, 
Look what's happened to this week. The big star witness for the House Republicans and impeachment that every Republican went out on TV and touted turns out to be a total fraud and literally got the information from Russia. I've said for a long time, he needs to get more of the cabinet out on TV. He ought to have the cabinet out every single day on TV, four or five times a day. They ought to be in multiple media markets, small towns, big towns. I mean, he got infrastructure done, the first infrastructure bill since Dwight Eisenhower. And everybody's getting new roads, new bridges, new pipes, fixing water infrastructure. We ought to have an army of folks in every small town USA talking about what this money means to their local community. So I think we, we can do, all of us can do a better job of communicating the successes of, of this administration. Still, for so many Americans, they're not feeling better off. I think let it be the household goods, the cost of milk, butter, gasoline, even though it's come down dramatically. Those are the things that people see every single day. And those are the challenges I think the president works on every day to continue to bring those down. And here's what I'm saying, David, why I'm very optimistic about the election. As you say, I am probably the chief cheerleader for 40 <laughs> years. I'm really excited now. But all those things that I just talked to you about, the contrast, I think a lot of people, especially independents, say, oh, Trump's not going to be the nominee. He's got 91 indictments. He's got four trials coming up, blah, blah, blah. Well, guess what? He is going to be the nominee, and I think it'll be sometime in mid-March when that happens. Then it's Biden versus Trump. And then you got Donald Trump, who wants a national abortion ban. He wants to ban sex education schools and take out the books and all the things. You know, it's a campaign, as we talk about. He wants revenge and retribution. But I'm really sick to my stomach when I think about what Trump did last week, when he said that basically green-lighted Putin to go invade our NATO countries. and Here's Putin has killed thousands of thousands. They've kidnapped over 20,000 children. He just killed his main opposition leader in his prison. He just arrested a U.S. citizen, a ballerina from L.A. Why? She gave $51.80 to a Ukraine relief fund two years ago. So I think once we're able to make those points, now, here's Donald Trump. He never served. He had a whole bunch of deferments, and he's attacking those, as he did John McCain, a war hero. Those are the points that we're going to be able to make. It's a dangerous world out there. And all he did was bear hug and kiss and hug on this North Korean dictator. And look what that's got us. I hear everything you're saying on the contrast. And, and obviously, the Biden team believes the contrast is the campaign, that, it is, that that is going to be sort of the entirety of this exercise. Even sure. in addition to what you're saying about communicating better and selling the achievements, this is all going to be about the contrast. But everything you just went through, do you think American voters are going to vote in this presidential election about Ukraine and Russia and Putin? Is that going to be what causes people to get out and vote? Sure, Dave. That's a, are we keeping American citizens safe? And if we have an all-out war with our NATO countries, with Russia, that is not keeping America safe. And if we lose Ukraine, if Putin were able to do what he wants to do in Ukraine, don't think he's going to stop there, David. That affects us greatly. We're pledged. We have to commit American not only resources, armaments, and so forth. We would have to put personnel. So, yeah, it's a safety issue. The world is very dangerous today, not only what's going on in Ukraine and the rest of Europe, but what we got going on in Asia today. Yeah, that's a big part. Our commander-in-chief who takes this job very seriously. But also the economic issues. And as I just walked through a huge litany, where we were is he took office and where we are today, such a stark difference. So. I think this election is going to be 
number one, uh, about the economy and who they think best job, national security. And I do think abortion. Uh, when that memo came out in whatever it was, March, David, of 2022, let's be clear, that was a game changer for this country and it was a game changer for the Democratic Party. It literally saved us the House and Senate in the 22 elections. I wish the memo had come out six months earlier. Would have helped me. Right. I mean, you guys lost the House, but not by as big of a margin as you expected. But yes. Yeah, we broke every historical trend yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, in the House. But abortion was a big play. And these states have doubled down six-week abortion bans, David. Many women don't even know they're pregnant in six weeks. Now you've seen the whole intro of what's going on in Alabama. So I think abortion's going to have a huge play. I do think the issue of democracy is going to have a huge play wrapped into who can keep us safe. We'll be right back with more from former Virginia Governor Terry McAuliffe. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Whether it's routine maintenance and emergency repair or a dream project, Angie lets you compare quotes from multiple local pros, browse homeowner reviews, and even book a service instantly. Angie's been connecting people with skilled pros for nearly 30 years. So the next time you have a home project, bring it to Angie to get your job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent. This week on Chasing Life... I'm a health reporter and have been for 15 years. And even I feel overwhelmed by some of the things I read about the stuff we're eating. My colleague Meg Terrell wanted to take a deep dive into something you've probably heard a lot about recently. Ultra-processed foods. There is a lot to learn there, some fascinating stuff. And some of it is probably going to change the way you shop. Listen to Chasing Life wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. We're here with former Governor Terry McAuliffe, former DNC chair, prolific Democratic fundraiser. Uh, Governor, Joe Biden said four years ago that he saw himself as a bridge to the next generation of Democratic leadership. Yet he clearly didn't see it as his mission to cross that bridge, bring the party across it, this cycle. And I'm wondering if you think, I hear you, you talk to him, he's not going anywhere, nobody's convincing him to go anywhere, but did he make the right decision here for the party to seek re-election? Or would this have been a better moment to fulfill that promise of, of crossing that bridge to the next generation? Let's go back to 2020 for a second. I think it's an important point. Uh, that was such an important election to stop Donald Trump and all of the nonsense that had gone on in his four years as president. I mean, it was dangerous. I mean, just read General Kelly's book and all the others out there. It was a dangerous time for America and for the world. So we needed someone who could build the coalition. As you know, David, I was a lone voice on CNN all through 2019 and 2020 saying that Joe Biden was going to be the nominee. And the reason I said that, we had a lot of great candidates running but I knew at the end we had to have someone who would bring together all the different elements of our party and build that coalition. And that's exactly, I mean, I was on CNN, as you know, in January, after the very tough time we had in Iowa, New Hampshire, he was still going to be the nominee because he had that ability to bring folks together. And that was, you know, the basis of his victory, bringing America together, bringing, you know, working in a bipartisan way. And I think as we now go four years forward with all the success we've had, I think the dynamic is that Trump is running again. And I think the president truly in his heart believes that he is, he's beat him before. 
And he's the one person who can actually beat him again. I, I understand that Joe Biden believes that. Do you believe that? Sure, I do. I mean, listen, for me, it's winning this election. I mean, taking Biden's policies versus Trump policies as as important as 2020 was, I got to, you know, and I apologize to all of your listeners for 40 years I have been on TV and radio saying this is the most important election election of your lifetime. <laughs> you, you and every other politician. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Especially when I was chair of the DNC. But I mean, I truly believed it, David. But this one, literally, when let's think about this for a second. He is a campaign. He's already said, you know, he wants to put guys like us. Uh, we're vermin. He's going to probably put us all in prison. You'll probably go do David. We'll probably share a cell together. But I mean, the idea you run for president and this is the things you're actually talking about. He has scared the heck out of world leaders all over the globe. Uh, his comments on NATO and everything else. But think for a second, David, what cabinet is Donald Trump going to put together? Uh, it would be frightening. And I think that's what's weighing on, on, on President Biden. So I'm glad he is actually running again. And let me, this is an important point about the cabinet. I know people say, well, the president's old, da da. Listen, I view age as experience as well. But the thing you have to give Joe Biden tremendous credit for, David, is he has put together a great team. He has got a great cabinet. He's got great agency and department heads. So when you talk about the president, Biden, you talk about everybody who works in this administration and compare that to what Trump had with his cabinet and who's going to want to serve in a second Trump cabinet. So I do think that's all important. So for me, yes, I think Joe Biden's the best one. You just mentioned concerns about his age. I mean, our most recent poll, sure. um, we asked open-ended, uh, just completely open-ended to Democrats. Yeah. What's your biggest concern about Biden? 46% said his age, nothing. Do you dismiss that or do you think that that is a valid concern? And obviously, I don't mean age as a number. I mean about how Americans perceive his vitality, fitness, ability to serve through another four years. Do you, you just dismiss that concern or you think it is a valid, real voter concern? Listen, anytime you tell me, David, that 46% of Democrats have a concern about an issue, for me, that is a concern, sure. That's what you hear over and over. But I, as someone who has talked to him, have seen him, who has dealt with him, you talk to everybody who works in his government, from the cabinet, to everybody in the meeting, sharp as attack, leads the discussion, does the full analysis, reads everything before it comes in. So I get it. When you're 81 years old, people are going to say that. I mean, shockingly, sometimes, David, I hear me in my mid-60s. So, I mean, it happens. I'm okay with it. But what I know is that other presidents of Ron Bush and others and Reagan and da-da-da-da, when Reagan was there, we had the same types of concerns. And they had said back with Reagan, as you now know, David, you have talked about it, there were early stages of dementia. We don't have that with Joe Biden. So, you know, I'm, I'm fine. We just got to win this election. Everybody's got to, you know, get in the game, quit your hand ringing, quit your whining. It is Joe Biden versus Donald Trump. And here's what you get with Biden. And here's what you're going to get with Donald Trump. Let's go. Wake up. Now, if I hear you correctly, you seem to be of the mind that there are lots of Americans that don't actually think Trump is going to be the nominee. I'm, I'm confounded by that just because it is so clear in all the news coverage. He's already, I mean, Biden has already fully engaged him as if the general election has started. He's not waiting for him to cross some delegate threshold. And, and yet you still are of the mind, it seems, if I'm hearing you correctly, that that hasn't penetrated to uh, the casual American voter. Oh, to independence, I still hear it all the time. You know, when the recent huge awards have he's been charged with and has to pay, you know, he's never going to, listen, this is why Meekly Haley's not getting out of the race. 
Nikki Haley's going to stay in this as long as she possibly can for the same reason. People believe that, you know, 91 indictments, he's just, you know, he owns now half a billion dollars nearly uh, that he's going to have to pay in penalties that have been assessed. He's got four trials coming up. I mean, to a lot of folks, David, who don't follow this like you and I do, they say this is impossible that this guy's going to be the nominee. And it's going to be over, as I say, in four weeks. This is going to be over and he's going to be the nominee. And I I think for a lot of independents and people who don't follow this as closely as you and I do, they just don't think there's any way with this kind of baggage that Trump has that he's going to be the nominee. They just don't believe it. But you do acknowledge that this is at current outlook from where we sit here in February. This seems to be a toss up race, not just nationally, but in these battleground states. I mean, this seems this is not in the bag for Joe Biden. I know you're confident he will win, but this is this is going to be razor thin, no? Absolutely. Let's just go back, as you know, in 2020, when, you know, that was, what was it, like three states, it was a difference of 48,000 votes. So if 24,000 people in three states had changed their vote, we wouldn't have won the presidency. Now, we got, what, 306 electoral votes last time? I mean, we're going to win these states, but you don't need a Georgia or Arizona. I mean, you can do a lot of permutations in the electoral college. I'd much rather be sitting where we're sitting than where Donald Trump is sitting. He's got to pick up. But this is going to be very tight. I mean, you and I believe that, but most people a year ago never would have believed that Donald Trump would be the nominee again. I knew, and you know, David, that he has a strong base of support that no matter what he does, as he said himself, he could shoot somebody. They are never leaving him. I'd argue the strongest base of support I've ever seen in politics in my lifetime. David, I mean, 91 indictments. He's been accused of sexual assault. He's been fined a half a billion dollars. Most other folks, it would have crumbled him, but, you know, he does. He has a strong base of support. I hear your call to Democrats to stop hand-wringing and stop all the bellyaching and and get in the game here. But there does seem to be pieces of the Democratic coalition that elected Joe Biden in 2020 that seem to have stepped away a moment from him or fraying a bit. One of the key things, you were talking about the president's success on unifying NATO and, and making the cause. The other big foreign policy challenge that obviously he's facing is the Israel-Gaza conflict right now. And his positioning there in, you know, maintaining U.S. support for Israel definitely seems to have some political blowback from progressives, from some Arab-American voting communities in key places like Michigan. What do you make of some of the pieces of the Democratic Party coalition that don't seem to be as robustly there for him right now? What do you think he has to do? I know you're going to tell me, compare him to Donald Trump, but is there other work that needs to happen to piece that together again? Well, let's talk about Israel for a sec. I mean, I can't tell you a more challenging situation. Israel clearly, David, has a right to defend themselves. But as the President Biden said last week, that the response has been over the top. So the President and his team, uh, Tony Blinken and Jake Sullivan, Bill Burns, as you know, is there now trying to negotiate hostages. The president's got his A-team on the field, trying to do the best he can in a very tough, challenging time. They're doing everything they can to get humanitarian aid in to help the folks in Gaza. Uh, But it's very tough circumstances. And you're right, some people want ceasefire today. I mean, as I say, this is a big, huge, broad coalition, the Democratic Party. So, you know, we're in February. We're eight months of the election. There are going to be five to 10 things that you and I have not discussed today (laughs) that are going to happen. They're going to have an impact on this presidential election. But 
he's showing strength in Israel. He's not being a politician. He's being a commander in chief. And he's on the phone with Netanyahu doing and telling and pushing and shoving to help with this humanitarian aid, trying to get them, you know, to not go and kill innocent civilians. So, I mean, this is what happens when you're the commander in chief. And I'm proud of what the president has done. I'm very proud of Ukraine, something that is dear to my heart. I've been very involved in this situation. I mean, we can't walk away from this fledging democracy. And I give the president credit and shame on the Republicans in the House. They can't pass a Ukraine bill. They can't pass an Israel bill. They can't pass an immigration keep our border safe bill. I mean, we haven't even talked about that, David, but you want to talk about dysfunction? I mean, this House couldn't even pass a bill honoring George Washington in the name of post office. I mean, honestly, the Senate in a bipartisan way has done Ukraine aid, Israel aid, and immigration to finally pass something and do something about the border. And the House Republicans won't take it up for a vote. You know why? Because it will pass. There are all the Democrats and enough Republicans who would vote for it. So right. they're just holding out and letting these Ukrainian soldiers be slaughtered today on the front lines. They deserve better. And that's not who we are as the United States of America. It's shameful. My last question to you is to bring back uh, to where we started here for a moment. You get so much input, Terry. I mean, Everyone in the Democratic Party at all levels across the country are in constant communication with you. How would you assess right now what is the current state of Democratic thinking about 2024? What do you, what do you hear the most right now that is on the minds of all the operatives engaged in, in wanting this to be a successful battle? Yeah. Well, I've spent the last six months telling everybody that Joe Biden is running and he's not getting out. So. You know, as you probably heard, David, I've been very consistent from day one. I think a huge concern, obviously, for us is the United States Senate. It is absolutely critical that we keep the Senate for so many reasons, judges and all the other nominations that go with that. And, you know, we have challenging, obviously, you know, challenging West Virginia and Arizona and Ohio and Montana, Maryland now in play with Governor Hogan getting in the race. So, you know, I think where everybody's doing a lot of focus as well is on these Senate races. People feel, because I think of a lot of the lawsuits have gone on redistricting, uh, they're very optimistic about us retaking the United States House of Representatives. But none of any of this, David, does not matter if at the top, our messaging and what we need to do. Everything is going to fall from the top on the presidential election. And, you know, yeah, I'm the chief cheerleader, but I really do believe this. I mean, I'm an optimistic guy, but I just know the challenges at the end of the day of what it means to be president. At the end of the day, you have to excite your base to come out. And you know what? They were a little lackadaisical before the Dobbs memo came out and then ultimately a Supreme Court decision came out overturning Roe v. Wade. That, with young people and women, has so turbocharged our base of people to come out and vote. And you look, David, as you follow this better than anybody, the special elections around the country. Look what happened in Ohio. We did very well last year in Virginia. You know, a governor, sitting governor, lost the chamber the first time in 60 years. And I go all over the rest of the country. That passion is still there and is going to be there eight, eight months from today. And we're going to make sure people remember. And we're going to make sure people understand. Here's the choices you have. We're just not seeing it yet in the polling on Biden or his standing with the American people. But you're missing my point. I truly believe that happens when this true contrast in Donald Trump is the nominee. Well, that, that 
is the big bet that you and the party and the Biden campaign is clearly making this cycle. Uh, Terry McAuliffe, former governor of Virginia, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you taking the time to chat with us. Appreciate it. You bet. Thanks. That's it for this week's edition of the CNN Political Briefing. And we want to hear from you. Is there a question you'd like answered about this election cycle? Is there a guest you really want to hear from? Give us a call at 301-842-8338 or send us an email at cnnpoliticalbriefing at gmail.com. And you might just be featured on a future episode of the podcast. So don't forget to tell us your name, where you're from, how we can reach you, and if you give us permission to use the recording on the podcast. CNN Political Briefing is a production of CNN Audio. This episode was produced by Madeline Thompson. Our senior producer is Haley Thomas. Dan DeZula is our technical director, and Steve Lichtai is executive producer of CNN Audio. Support from Alex Manasseri, Robert Mathers, John Dianora, Lainey Steinhardt, Jameis Andrist, Nicole Pesseru, and Lisa Namoro. And special thanks to Katie Hinman. We'll be back with a new episode on Friday, March 1st. Thanks so much for listening.